Our scripture reading today is 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Thanks, Julia. Good morning. In my family, I am the forgetter. I forget stuff. Grace is the rememberer. I'm the forgetter. Just to reinforce that, I forgot what I was about to say. I'm the guy who's kind of a habitual forgetter. Grace will uh, put things on my bag to remind me. The bag that I'm taking to work, she'll put things that she wants me to take to work. She'll put stuff on top of the bag so that I won't forget. There's no way I can forget the thing if it's on the bag that I'm about to leave with, right? So between the time of me removing the thing to put the bag over my shoulder and actually getting it on my shoulder, I have forgotten the thing that she put on the bag so that I would remember it. I'm that kind of forgetter. There's one story that she likes to tell um, about me forgetting things. Uh, She was into kale smoothies for a while. I don't know. Weren't really my thing. But she, she wanted to like kale smoothies. And so she was trying to figure out how much kale to put in it into the kale smoothie. And so I made her a smoothie and I brought it to her. This kale smoothie, I bring it to her and she takes a sip and she's like, oh, that's pretty good. However much kale you put in that smoothie, that's how much kale I want in my kale smoothies. And I said, right, kale, forgot the kale. Grace, Grace is a rememberer. She remembers details. She probably could tell you what shirt I was wearing when I handed her the smoothie. Like that's the kind of rememberer she is. She's the kind of rememberer that when... Um, I wanted uh, illustrations of me forgetting things. I went to her and asked her, can you remember any stories of me forgetting things? She's the rememberer. I, I have a theory that um, our different childhoods contributed to that. This may or may not be meaningful, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, that because she grew up, her parents live in the same house that they moved into when she was four. So she has kind of a stable childhood she has like that mind palace thing. She's got a home that she can like put her memories into. I grew up without a stable living situation. We, we moved, I don't know, 10 or 11 times when I was growing up. I went to six different elementary schools, you know, that kind of thing. So when I think of a house that I grew up in, like there's no, sta- there's no house. Like it's just kind of a, I don't know, a U-Haul truck. <laughs> Actually, that's a funny story too. When we were about, 
I think, I think my sister was like three, if I remember this right. And a U-Haul drives by us on the freeway, and she goes, that's our U-Haul. That's somebody's driving our, our truck. <laughs> oh, dear. But memory and identity are closely linked together. We become what we remember in one sense. Like, we develop into people as we remember and forget things, which is interesting in our culture because our culture is a forgetting culture. We are really, really good at forgetting things. We forget things like our family, our ancestors. In fact, for many of you, you have this experience where um, my uncle took a DNA test recently, and we happened to take it, or we, I happened to get his results on St. Patrick's Day, which is, um, was interesting because we thought we had a whole bunch of German in our family, and what we found out was we had a whole bunch of Irish, which was fun to find out on St. Patrick's Day, but it was one of those things. We didn't know where our family came from. Most of us, or lots of us, don't know where our families are from. We forget things like our ancestry. We forget things like the rituals and family stories that make our family what they are. We forget the violence that's been done to us, and as a culture, the violence that we've done to others, to Native Americans, to black slaves, violence done in war, etc. We forget our bodies, and we're really desperate to forget death. This culture desperately tries to forget death. So things like, we work really hard to pretend that we're not aging the way that we are, or that we're not sick. And when someone actually dies, we remove them as quickly as possible, often. This culture does that in a way that lots of other cultures, they stay with the dead. And they remember the dead in a way that we don't. Forgetting is a kind of defense mechanism, and it's useful to us at times, in the short term especially. And long term, it can also create this sense of infinite possibility. The world is my oyster, and other uh, graduation speech slogans um, are only really possible for us in a forgetting culture. In a remembering culture, you have a fixed identity. So your friends, your family, your enemies, your career, the place you're going to live, all of those are largely fixed in a culture that remembers everything. So we don't have a fixed identity often. Our identities are more fluid. The reality is that forgetting is just an illusion. Just because I forget something doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just because I forget my family doesn't mean they weren't there and aren't don't have meaningful impact on my identity. I recently read a novel called The The Buried Giant, where the buried giant of the title is historical memory. And what happens in the book is this historical memory starts to get unburied. And what that does is destroy families, culture, everything else. Because they haven't dealt with the giant, they just buried it, pretended it wasn't there. In the same way, I think, Trying to forget death so desperately has made us absolutely obsessed with death. We have become a culture of death. Our identity as a culture is being formed for us, but we don't remember why. Because we're trying to forget death, but we're obsessed with it. Forgetting isn't really a way out. An essay I read this week by the the theologian Stanley Hauervoss is called 
why time cannot and should not heal the wounds of history, but time has been and can be redeemed. Sometimes Hauerwas' titles are essays in themselves. Um, But the point he's making in this essay is that Christ redeems history. He redeems even memory so that remembering things can be an act of worship, can be a way of saying Christ was here. Christ redeemed this. Christ made this sin. He he worked through it in such a way that he redeems even my sin, even the things, bad things that have been done to me and that I've done to others. Memory is a kind of worship. I was reading Psalm 103 this morning where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget his benefits. So God invites us to remember and to build our memories on Christ, to build our identities on Christ. So as we start the book of 2 Timothy this morning, we're going to follow Paul as he remembers and as he invites Timothy to remember. With them, let's be a people that remember who we are. We are Jesus' people brought together by the promises of God, together with all of God's people throughout history, on mission for the sake of the world. Let's pray and dive into this text. Father, we thank you that you remember us and you remember your promises to us. And you're going to fulfill those promises, all of them. Jesus, thank you that you came to fulfill the promises of God, that you came to fulfill God's promise to be faithful to his people. And you did that all the way, even to death. You were willing to submit to God's promises all the way to death. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work in us. Help us to be a remembering kind of people, people that remember who you are and what you've done for us and what you're calling us to. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're starting our summer series. We're going to take a break from Acts for the next 10 weeks or so, and we'll come back to Acts in the fall, but for the summer, we're going to look at 2 Timothy together. A couple of things to know about 2 Timothy. First, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy from prison in Rome. Um, we're not sure which imprisonment. Uh, most scholars, I think, it's, it's split, but a lot of scholars, most scholars, think that Paul is writing this at his final imprisonment. So at the end of the book of Acts, he's imprisoned in Rome, but a lot of scholars think he escaped from Rome, not escaped, but he was let out of prison. He went and preached the gospel in Spain and other places in what we now call Europe, and then was imprisoned again, brought back to Rome, and killed during this imprisonment. It's the second imprisonment that Paul's writing to us from. He's about to die, and he knows he's about to die. He's writing to Timothy, who he calls his son, who is leading the church in Ephesus. And if you've been with us in Acts, you remember that Paul picks up Timothy in Lystra and starts bringing him with him. So Timothy is being discipled by Paul, and Paul has left him in Ephesus to help run the church in Ephesus. So he's writing this letter to Timothy in Ephesus. In this book, Paul finds a sense of identity in remembering his own story and the story of Israel. So like Moses, if you remember the story of Moses, when he finishes his life, he blesses and commissions Joshua at the end of his life. 
That's kind of what this book is like. This, that's a good lens for us to think through what uh, Paul is doing in this letter. Moses blessed the people, commissioned Joshua, and then went off and died. Paul is blessing the people, commissioning Timothy, so that Timothy can lead with strength and power as the church takes over the promised land. And the promised land in the New Testament is the fulfilled creation. All of creation is now God's, always has been God's, but all of creation is God's to come under submission to the King, Jesus. Paul has lived his life to advance the kingdom of Jesus in the world. And he's done it Jesus' kind of way, right? He's not like raising armies to go conquer other civilizations. What he's doing is preaching the gospel, submitting himself to uh, others, sacrificing himself, going to prison, and all of that is advancing the gospel. So Paul has been advancing Jesus' kingdom in Jesus' way. But now he can see death is coming and my work is not done. There's still more to do. My work is done, but the mission will go on. So in this transition period, um, he's going to say to Timothy, hey, you got the mission. It's all yours. So it's up to you to take this thing forward. So I just want to remind us of the Moses story and, and help us think through the lens a little bit that I'm bringing to this text. So in Deuteronomy 31, Moses gathers the people of Israel together and says to them, remember all that God has done for you in leading us out of Egypt and bringing us to this new promised land. But I'm not going to lead you into the promised land. Joshua's going to do that. I'm going to die before we get there. But Joshua can do this. And then he turns to Joshua and speaks. And Deuteronomy 31, 7 to 8 gives us his, the content of his speech. Let me read that for us. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give to their fathers. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. You got this, Joshua. The Lord is with you. Be strong. Don't be afraid. You will take over this land. Second Timothy is what we would expect if Paul is seeing himself as a new Moses, taking over a new promised land, and handing over that ministry to Joshua. The major themes of this book are the same as the major themes of Moses' speech to Joshua. You got this. The Lord is with you. Be strong. Don't be afraid. In addition to that, I just want to point this out. In chapter 3, Paul actually refers to himself as Moses and refers to his enemies as Moses' enemies. We'll get there in chapter 3, but just to kind of add to what I'm saying. The two things that Paul adds that Moses didn't, I want to point this out because they're really important. First, be ready to suffer. You're going to suffer. Our Lord suffered, you will suffer. I've suffered, says Paul, you, Timothy, will suffer also, which is fine. Suffering is one of the weapons of the kingdom of God. So one, be ready to suffer. Two, don't be ashamed of suffering. 
It's not, there's no shame in suffering in the kingdom. Instead, there's power in suffering for the kingdom. Not shame, but power. So don't be ashamed of suffering. So the big theme and the title for our series that we're, um, the title for the series here in 2 Timothy is Enduring in the Gospel. God is remaking the world by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to defeat death and bring life. In the gospel, God empowers his people to endure suffering, persecution, and death to share the good news in the world. Quick outline of this letter. This morning, Paul says hello to Timothy. Paul thanks God for Timothy. And then over the, the most of the letter is Paul giving Timothy a bunch of instructions for how to be on mission and a faithful minister of the gospel. So he says things like guard the gospel, be ready to suffer for the gospel, be strong, don't be timid, don't be ashamed, pass along the gospel to other faithful followers of Jesus. And the book ends with Paul giving some final instructions, bring me my coat, say hi to these people. Don't ever talk to these people again, that kind of thing. So our big theme, enduring in the gospel. So let's dive into this letter. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul begins just by saying hello. He begins like all his letters do. But the one unique thing he says in this opening, something that's different than all his other openings, is he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. He's wanting to remind Timothy of the promise that begins uh, all of us. Again, this is unique in the introduction of letters we have from Paul. Paul wants to emphasize that his apostleship is for the sake of God's promise. Paul is an apostle set out for the ministry that God has, and and that ministry is for the promise of life. Promise, by the way, it's an interesting word, um, epangelion. That means kind of to speak news beforehand. To speak news before it happens is kind of the idea. In Greek, epangelion. In Greek, the word for gospel is euangelion. The promise made good. Does that make sense? So epangelion is fulfilled in the euangelion. The promise is fulfilled in the gospel. When Paul uses these words together as he does in 2 Timothy, Galatians is is a big... um, time where he uses these kind of together, he's intentionally playing with the words. Epangelion leads to, the promise leads to the gospel, the euangelion. So Paul is saying, you remember the promise? It's been fulfilled. The promise of life has been fulfilled in the gospel of life. The gospel didn't begin with you and me. It didn't even begin with Jesus. The gospel begins with God's promise. And it has been fulfilled in Jesus. The whole Old Testament is about God's promises. Again, finally fulfilled in Jesus. And God's promise is about life 
in Christ Jesus. God is defeating death, making life available to all through Christ Jesus, eternal life, abundant life, now and into eternity kind of life. Not only about where you go when you die, but about full life lived now and on into forever. So remember the promise, he says. And then he says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Paul really loves Timothy. And that's going to be evident throughout the letter. That's evident in 1 Timothy also. That's evident in the ways that Paul brings Timothy with him and then raises him up in the gospel. He really loves him. So what we're reading is personal correspondence between kind of a father figure and his son. Paul also knows Timothy really well and knows what Timothy is wrestling with and struggling with. Timothy, Paul knows, is wrestling with his own adequacy for ministry. Am I good enough? Do I have what it takes to carry this ministry forward? With Paul gone, I'm a key leader in this ministry. Do I have what it takes? Many of us know that kind of wrestle, don't we? But Paul says to Timothy, you are my son. You are important to me. We share the same blood, the blood of Jesus. Anything that I can do, you can do differently, but you can do. You are my son, he says. He's encouraging and empowering Timothy. So following Paul and Timothy, we're invited by this passage to remember the people and promises that God has given to us. He has blessed us with promises of his faithfulness in Jesus, and he will fulfill those promises. So we have the opportunity to remember his promises in faith. Let's keep looking through this passage, verses three to five. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is also in you. Including verses 6 and 7, Paul uses words related to remembering and memory four times in five verses. Clearly, remembering is a key part of what Paul wants to communicate to Timothy here. Paul begins by remembering his ancestors, and then also later, Timothy's mother and grandmother. Both of these men, Paul and Timothy, have legacies of faith. What's interesting about that is both of their legacies of faith are legacies of the Jewish faith. Paul's ancestors didn't know Jesus. Timothy's mother and grandmother were converted by Paul at the same time that Timothy was converted. His legacy of faith is also the Jewish faith. It's important to see the continuity there. And Paul notices that they have a clear conscience. They've been faithful in worshiping God with a clear conscience. Paul is grateful for his ancestors and their influence on him and on his life and on his identity. They help to form who Paul and Timothy are. And they help to form who we as Christians are. They received the promises. They bore the promises down until Jesus came. And now we all have identity as people of Jesus. All of us who are in Christ are, like Paul and Timothy, descended from Abraham and Moses and Ruth and David and Solomon 
and Mary, and Mary, and the other Mary, and Peter, and Paul, and Timothy. These are important foremothers and forefathers of faith for us. As Christians, we have other ancestors in the faith, too. Billy Graham, who died recently, Martin Luther King Jr., Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, our Catholic ancestors like Augustine and Justin Martyr. These people have shaped our faith and our identities. And having a proper sense of who we are requires that we remember them. I don't know if you uh, saw this week, Dee Sarton uh, retired from KTVB. She's been doing the news on Channel 7 for 40 years. Huge legacy. And I don't know if you saw how she ended her final sign-off. Did everybody see that? Her very last words were thanking her family, but right before she thanked her family, she thanked David Roper and Cole Community Church for the impact. She hasn't gone here in a long time, but huge impact David Roper had on teaching her grace was her language. Huge impact on her life. I was really um, moved by her memory and remembering publicly the importance that David Roper and Cole Community Church have had on her. Um, so I thought that was sweet and wonderful. By the way, if you receive David's e-musings, um, there, he, David Roper sends out um, almost weekly uh, kind of little blog posts via email, and his e-musing this week uh, was on forgetting. Now, mine's on remembering. I think we're talking about different things, saying different things about different things. He's talking about not intentionally remembering sin done against us. I'm talking about something else. So just wanted to point that out. Um, I'd also love to point out, this is right around the one-year anniversary since Adrienne left us. Julie has been doing a great job, and we're really grateful for Julie's work in leading worship. But a year ago, Adrienne left us and uh, retired, and she did also a wonderful job. And we can remember with gratitude all the work that God did through us as a community through Adrienne. Kind of amazing that it's been a year since we partied hard in this room. Remembering our heritage as a community is important for us as we form communal identity. It's important also to remember our communal heritage fully with appropriate gratitude alongside evaluation. Our ancestors are people And people are complicated. We have the opportunity to remember with love and gratitude while also recognizing the evil done by people we call good people. It's important to do both. Mature memory requires both. So for instance, we recognize Martin Luther King Jr. and we are grateful for the work that he did in uh, sharing the gospel, speaking the truth, prophetically to a culture that needed to hear from him. That doesn't mean that we have to forget some of the things that he did wrong, the way he mistreated his wife and mistreated women in particular. We can remember both. Jonathan Edwards was an amazing American theologian. His theology was incredible. He was also a racist slaveholder. We can remember both. Martin Luther, incredible theologian, initiated the um, Protestant Reformation and also an anti-Semite. There's a reason that Germany was the place where Nazism 
found uh, Nazism, anti-Semitism, found a place, and part of that has to do with the legacy of Martin Luther. We can remember the good things about the Catholic Church as well as remember that the good things, like they brought the gospel for 1,500 years uh, up until the Protestant Reformation, and, and they continue to have seeds of the gospel. We can also remember the abuses uh, within Catholicism. As uh, Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn reminds us, the line separating good and evil passes right through every human heart. Sometimes we experience this complicated dance when we learn and remember that the people we celebrate and admire are fully human. I'm wearing this tie this morning to remember my grandpa. My grandma and grandpa were wonderful people. Um, I said I moved around a lot growing up. The house that I think of, you know, when you read a book and you're trying to, like, imagine a house, the house that I start with when I imagine the houses described in books is my grandparents' house. That was the most stable place growing up for me. My grandparents provided this wonderful legacy of stability. And I'm, I'm amazed the Kramer family from their line, so my, them, my parents' generation, and my generation so far, we have stable marriages, no divorce. I mean, that's an amazing legacy considering the number of uh, marriages and families uh, in that legacy. So their house was a stable place. And it's, their house also is probably the reason that I like the smell of cigarettes. <laughs> I didn't know until later that their marriage was seriously damaged. They had done difficult painful things to one another. And I didn't know that for a long time. But what do we do when we find out people we admire are fully human? How do we remember them and their legacies? The Old Testament is a great example of how to remember them and their legacies. The Old Testament heroes, Abraham, Moses, David, really admired people. And all of their faults are right there in the text right? They remember both. The Jews did an amazing job of this. They remembered the amazing things that Moses did, and they also remember his failures. They remember the golden age of Israel under David's leadership, and they also remember his very egregious sins. Maturing our memories might look something like this, and this is just an observation. It's not fully researched, but it tends to work like this. We start by admiring our heroes and don't think that they could do anything bad, right? We kind of worship them. When we hear information about their faults, we tend to defend them and deny their faults. And then when we recognize the evil of their faults, the things that they did wrong and how uh, impactful those were, we often, and this is where our culture is today, we often totally reject them. We want to write them out of history. Love requires something else. Love requires that we be grateful for the good things that people have done while wrestling with and working to forgive the faults of others. That's just love, right? Like we all do that in our closest, most intimate relationships all the time. We need to do that, I think, with historical memory. We need to remember who they were, and remember the very good things that they've done, while at the same time 
We can hold two things together in our minds. I firmly believe that we have the maturity and grace to do this. While at the same time, we can remember the evil that they've done. That doesn't negate the good things. Just because someone did this good thing doesn't mean they couldn't have done this bad thing. And just because they did this bad thing doesn't mean they couldn't also have done this amazingly good thing. Maturity and love take both. It took some time for me to learn to love my grandparents appropriately and maturely, not just to admire them or to deny that their mistakes mattered. Their mistakes matter. My sins matter. They also gave me a lot of important love and a home I can remember gratefully. Both are true. In the same way, we don't need to make monsters out of people. We can remember and view others as people made in God's image. Those who have done evil in history, and we think of primarily as evil, we can remember them as people made in God's image. Even the worst one of us bears God's image in some unique way. Just as the very best of us are filled with mixed motives and sin. We are called to love. And love lives in gratitude for others while seeing us for who we really are. And here's the good thing about that. As a Christian, Christ died to forgive all the things. We're forgiven for all of those things in him. It's amazing what Christ has done. So all of history can be redeemed in Christ. Paul moves on in verse 4 to talk about I remember your tears. I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. He's praying for Timothy night and day. He's grateful for Timothy. But this letter shows that Paul is also very aware of Timothy's fears, uncertainties, and even his shame. Paul knows Timothy. And he's grateful for him. Again, this is a sign of mature love, right? He remembers Timothy's tears, remembers the joy that he gets from Timothy. He remembers Timothy's faith. He remembers Lois and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother. Timothy, like Paul, his identity is rooted in a family that has followed God. That's amazing. It's a gift for Timothy. So remember, Paul invites us to remember our heritage, our collective heritage with mature love. Heroes of faith aren't heroes because they never failed. They're heroes of faith because in their failures and mistakes, they held on to Jesus and Jesus held on to them. Let's look at verses six and seven. Remember the mission. Paul to Timothy, therefore I remind you, rekindle the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power Love and sound judgment or self-discipline or whatever translation. We'll come back to that. Timothy has been gifted by God with power and with a mission. The laying on of hands by Paul is a physical act of transferring both authority and calling from one person to another. So Paul is saying, look, I laid my hands on you. You have my authority and you have my calling. You are participating in my ministry. You are going to go do amazing things in the kingdom of God. You are on mission. And Paul is reminding Timothy of this physical act 
in order to point to Timothy's authority and calling for his new mission. Remember, he's transferring his authority, just like Moses did, from himself, I'm off to die, to Timothy. Now you're going to take over. Just, I want to just remind us of what Paul's mission is. Because I think that's important. Acts has been reminding us and telling us the story. Uh, but just a reminder. Paul's job was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That is, to the whole world. Paul's fulfilling that third part of Jesus' commission to his apostles in Acts chapter 1. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Paul, in particular, is the ends of the earth guy. He's got that part. And so all the rest of us, by the way, in Christ, have that part of the ministry. We are participants in Paul's ongoing ministry to the Gentiles. This is in fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. I listed out a bunch of passages that, in my notes earlier, I listed out a bunch of passages that promise, where God promises to take his kingdom to all the Gentiles, but there are so many that I found it not useful to give you the whole list, but I could give you a couple, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Psalm 2, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 60. It's all over the place, right? God wants his people to include the whole world. God wants his promised land, which begins in Israel, to include the whole world. That's how the promises of God are fulfilled in the New Testament. The kingdom is going to the whole earth. Paul is on mission to take over the whole promised land, that is the whole earth, for Christ. And Acts has been the story of the kingdom of God from Jerusalem to Samaria and now to the ends of the earth. Paul, again, didn't finish that mission. He got it started. And now he's handing off the mission to Timothy. You are going to carry the gospel forward, my son. The gift of God in you is this calling and this mission. And to empower Timothy to carry that mission out, he says, God did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity. God gave you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. God is the one who empowers the mission. Maybe like some of us, Timothy is naturally timid. Paul is reminding him here that God is his strength. By the way, Paul was not naturally timid. In case you've spent much time reading or listening to Paul. Timothy is a very different personality than Paul was. But this thing doesn't rely on Timothy alone. This thing relies on the power of God. God's spirit in Timothy is empowering, enabling, emboldening him to carry out his mission. A spirit of power. God's empowering Timothy for ministry to serve the church with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Praise God. That means anything can be redeemed. If death can be defeated and redeemed, then anything can be redeemed. The same power that, re- that defeated death is in us, is in Timothy. A spirit of love. 
God is making us into people who love. He's empowering Timothy to lead by love, to self-sacrifice, to love and care for others. And a spirit of discipline, moderation, sound judgment. My dad has done some work on this term, so I'm just quoting him now. This term means knowing what's right and choosing to do it despite your circumstances and feelings. The literal term, the the etymology of the term, the term itself means saved mind. It's a great image, isn't it? A spirit of saved mind. That's who we are. We're a people of saved mind. We can know what's right and we can choose to do it despite how things look. In case you can't tell, these are essential gifts for leaders in the church of Christ. You can't lead in the church without power, love, and choosing to do what's right. I mean, you could try, but you'll fail. Timothy needs these gifts to carry out his mission and live out his identity in Christ. But this same spirit is not only for leaders in the church, like Timothy and Paul. This is for all of us. The spirit empowers all of us. We have the same power. We have the same love. We have the same saved mind or sound discipline. You and I were not given a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and a saved mind. We have in us the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? We have the spirit of love in us that brings the love that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share with one another. We have that same love in us. We have the ability to live with a saved mind. We can choose to live rightly despite our circumstances and feelings. We are all empowered by God to live out this calling, the same calling that Paul is here giving to Timothy. We have the same calling. Our job is to empower the church to love one another, to build up the church in such a way that the gospel is carried forward to the ends of the earth. We all have the same mission. Timothy's mission is our mission. We get to carry the gospel forward into a new generation, into new parts of the earth that have not submitted to Jesus. We get to participate in building up the body of Christ so that we all are following Jesus more perfectly together. We get to preserve the gospel in our lives and share it with others. So Paul is inviting us to remember our mission and the power that we have to carry out the mission. And that memory should fill us with hope. We do not follow Christ alone, but Christ has empowered us to walk with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. In conclusion, I just want to remind us, Christians... We are a remembering people. We remember our identity in Christ, the one who died and rose again. We don't have to fear death or forget death. We can remember death because death doesn't need to scare us. We follow a king who has defeated death. We can remember our failures and sins and the sins of our our heritage. They don't need to scare us. We serve a savior who has defeated the power of sin. We can remember the sins and failures of others because Christ has redeemed them too. His death on the cross is enough for all of the world's sins. 
We are not a forgetting people. We are a remembering people. Our identity is formed in our memories, which is great because the the identity uh, meal of the people of God, communion, remember what Christ says to us, do this in remembrance of me. This is the identity forming meal for the people of God. And it's a remembering meal. Like communion, all of our faithful remembering is the work of faith, love, and hope. We believe God's promises in faith. We remember our heritage and one another in love. And we remember our mission and our power for the mission with hope. Next week, we're going to get to look at Paul's understanding of the gospel itself. The good news that Jesus has defeated death and made life visible to us. But in our passage today, Paul tells Timothy to remember. Remember so that we can be more fully who we are. Children of God, made children by his promises, together with a long line of faithful followers, empowered and sent out to serve the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul and for Timothy. We thank you for Paul's reminder to remember. We ask that you would help us to be a remembering people, that remember who we are, that our identity is in Christ, and that we get to participate in the triune life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by the work of Jesus and by the power and enabling of the Spirit in us. Father, continue to make us more like Jesus as we remember who he is and what he's done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.